The peace of Christ be with you. Give yourself about three deep breaths to be welcomed into the presence of the Spirit and into the presence of this church held up by prayer for 60 years. Friends, let us worship the living God. Please rise and body your spirit for the call to worship. Friends, our God is a bulwark, never failing. God is our helper amid the flood of mortal ills. The Spirit and the gift are freely given. be seated. I want to welcome you here to Westminster. It is so good to be here and worship with you. If you're visiting, 
a special welcome to you. I invite you after worship out to our patio for coffee and tea and snacks, chance for conversation. If you're sitting here in our middle aisle during the offering, if you take that pew booklet and sign it, pass it down, pass it back. If you're a visitor, this is a great way for us to connect with you. It's also a great way for you to greet each other by name after worship. So let's join now in our community prayer. It's printed in your bulletin. Let us pray. God, you are with us in times of stability and building. You are there. Prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, know that God's grace flows through our lives, refreshing and making all things new. In Christ, we are forgiven. We are set free. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now I'd like to invite any of the children who are worshiping with us to come join me here at the front. All right. You even beat me. Hey there. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. So today I have a picture I want to share with you. I have a couple copies. We can pass it around and I'm going to describe it for all of you out there. It's a picture of a bunch of people gathered around a table. And these are people that look very different. They're dressed differently. They have different hair, they have different skin colors, they have different things on their plates, they have different hats on, but what I notice about, there's even a kitty cat in there, so pass it, keep passing it around, take a look, take a look at all those people, but what you might notice is that they are all reaching out to each other in some way, right? Some folks have their hands on the shoulders of others. Some are holding hands, and they're making a circle around the table. They're connected. So take a look. Keep on passing it around. I want to make sure everyone sees it. How about... You're right. They don't have any, they don't have any expressions on their face. No, no thing. So anyway, that is called The Best Supper. And it's by an artist named Jan Richardson. And I want to tell you what she said about that picture that she, that she made. She said this, That picture is inspired by meals that have fed me in my body and in my soul. As I created this image, she says, I was visited of, by memories of so many of the tables where I have found welcome and hospitality. Those memories are embedded in the pieces of this collage, she says. She says, circling the table, I capture glimpses of those with whom I have shared sacred meals. I remember how we savored every scrap of food, how we lingered at the table long after the last bite was consumed. So it sounds like what she's done with this picture is she has remembered all of the meals she's had with so many different people in her life, and she's tried to capture that at this one table. And I love that picture, especially as we think about coming here to this table later on in worship, this table where everyone is welcome, right? This table that we share not only with everyone who is here today, 
but we share this table with everyone who has come before. And just like the people in this picture, we may look very different, right? We may be dressed in all kinds of different clothes, but just like the people in this picture who are united around the table, we are united at this table in love, right? Even though we are very different people leading very different lives, we can come together as a family in Christ to share this meal together. And that's what I love about this table. Everyone is welcomed just as you are. Exactly who each one of you is and each one of you out there, that is who God wants at this table. And I love that. So you're going to go to Sunday school, but you're going to come back and we're all going to share this meal together just as we are. All right? So you're going to follow Jen out to Sunday school. Go now in peace. Go now in peace. Now's the time when we like to share with each other our joys and our concerns so that we can be in prayer for and with each other. So if you have something to share, I invite you to just raise your hand and let us know. Yeah, Nancy. Say that was your cousin's son? Cousin's son just diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor. Other joys or concerns to share? Yeah, Carol. Thank you, Carol. So Carla Parkinson's cousin has been diagnosed with a fairly rare form of cancer and is nearing the end of her life. Carla's back on the East Coast caring for her. So prayers for Carla's cousin Sharon and then Carla and David as they support. Yes. Hey, good to see you. So that is Deb and Anton Schwartz, who were longtime members of Westminster, have moved away for a few years, but are now back. And a special joy that uh, following a third brain surgery for Anton that seems to have been successful. So continued prayers for you as you heal, Anton. I saw someone over here. Yes, Susan. Prayers for a friend Sequoia, who is uh, going through the steps necessary before a heart transplant. And prayers for a friend Mary, who was recently diagnosed with ALS. Bruce. Just continuing to I heard he's now speaking words. Wow. He says, and paragraphs. 
Wow. Wow, so continued prayers for Bruce's niece who has had a really up and down journey with some brain tumors looking to be doing a little better right now, which is a joy. Barb. Prayers for our nation and the world during President's trip to Asia. Someone over here. Someone over there. Yes, Sharon. Joy for a son visiting in town. Amen. I'd like to lift up a prayer. Tonight is our first night of our rest program for the winter. We'll be hosting it here at Westminster. We'll be hosting the rest program, which is the rotating emergency shelter team, for the next several months on Sunday evenings. Just prayers for all of our guests tonight, as they will now have shelter for the next few months. But it is a rotating emergency thing and continued prayers that we may find shelter and housing for those who need it. Let's now take a few moments of quiet and then I'll lead us in the Lord's Prayer. So let us pray. Gracious God, you hear the prayers of your people, and they're offered in the name of the one who teaches us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we You'll notice in the bulletin there's an opportunity for you to sing as part of the anthem. And I I just want to say there is always room for any one of you in my choir. (laughs) Especially if you sing alto. (laughs) Or tenor. (laughs) Or bass. Or soprano.
Our scripture reading for this morning is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 13. Listen for what the Spirit is saying to us. You remember our labor and toil, brothers and sisters. We worked night and day so that we might not burden any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how pure, upright, and blameless our conduct was towards you believers. As you know, we dealt with each one of you like a father with his children, urging and encouraging you, and pleading that you lead a life worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We also constantly give thanks to God for this, that when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as what it really is, God's word, which is also at work in you, believers. This is holy wisdom, holy word. For much of the year, I've had a reminder of the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation sitting on my desk since my brother-in-law traveled to Europe last spring and, and brought it home. So I'd like to introduce to you Lego Martin Luther. Hero of the Reformation, superhero, you might even say, who 500 years ago last Tuesday nailed the 95 theses on the door at the church in Wittenberg, changing the church across the world, changing the world itself forever. Now, something strange has been happening with little Lego Luther throughout the year, most Mondays when I come into work, I find him disassembled across my desk. His little Lego quill is over here. His little Lego hat is over there. His little Lego helmet hair is over there. He's yet to lose his head. Well, some people might debate that claim, actually. But he's always deconstructed, so to speak. Now, I suspect that has something to do with my son, who often plays in my study after worship, but he pleads the fifth on that, not, not the Fifth Amendment, the fifth birthday, as being too young to be responsible for what he does. But a deconstructed Luther has become a, a symbol for me throughout the year as I've spent some time reflecting and studying on the Reformation in anticipation of this 500th anniversary. You see, as, so, as is so often the case, the fairy tale that we're taught is full of as much fiction as it is fact, sometimes even propaganda. Think of what people like me and those older uh, than I um, learned about Christopher Columbus, for example. So, for instance, when uh, we hear the story of Luther nailing up these theses on the church door in a heroic act, well, it's not quite what we think. In fact, we're not even sure he ever really did that. But if he did that, it would have been more like one of us putting something up on a bulletin board. That's just what you did back then. You nailed things on doors. And this notion that Luther was single-handedly responsible for returning the Bible into a primary place of authority in the church, well, that may not be so true either. And by that, I mean that actually there was a, a widespread movement across disciplines at the time to return to the sources. Luther called it sola scriptura, only scripture, get back to scripture. Well, but this was happening in other fields of study to get back particularly to Roman and Greek antiquity. And this notion that Luther single-handedly turned the tide of history, overlooks the fact that there were a number of currents, historic, economic, 
social, technological, cultural, political that converged in a perfect storm that amounted in the sea change that we saw in the 16th century. Like many things, in reality, it's a mixed story. And we carry with us a mixed legacy. Church historian from just from across the way there in, at San Francisco Theological Seminary, Christopher Ocker, reminds us that the Protestant Reformation wasn't only about doing theology properly in the church. It was also marked by the seizure of church property. The upstart Protestant movement seized and one could say stole properties from the Catholic Church, taking monasteries, for example, for their own and using them as schools or for other purposes. Martin Luther's anti-Semitism late in life is well documented, written in his own hand. And our own John Calvin, who, who came after Luther, for whom this tradition uh, was born, really, in his image or in his vision, has blemishes on his own resume. Particularly famous is that uh, episode around a man named Miguel Cerveto, or in Latin, Cervetus, which is how he's commonly known. Cervetus was a biblical scholar, but Cervetus, and Cervetus was also a scientist. In fact, Cervetus is responsible for discovering pulmonary circulation, in the field of medicine. Servetus had fallen out of favor with the Catholic Church and came to Geneva, to Calvin, in part seeking refuge. Calvin didn't give him refuge. Calvin took issue with his theology of infant baptism, his stance on that, as well as his understanding of the Trinity. And not only did he not shelter him, he advocated for his execution. And as a result, Servetus was burned at the stake. Our hands aren't clean in all of this. And yet, those are the two most important words for any preacher, by the way, for any person of faith. And yet, look what was set in motion with the Reformation. Look what happened. Sure, you could say Martin Luther was a symbol of something greater and, and maybe merely a catalyst, but symbols matter. Catalysts are necessary to put things in motion that are waiting to be unleashed. It's no small thing that Luther was able to point the church to the primacy of the Bible. Among other things, it released the Bible for use of everyday people to read it in their own language for the first time. Remember, this is an era when access was totally different. Most people never could have read Scripture their whole life long. Where we will celebrate communion in a few moments, where everybody here is welcome to come forward. At the time, people weren't always allowed even to take the elements. Sometimes at Mass, they were kept outside of the sanctuary, walled off by a gate through which they had to peer through as the priest in Latin and only Latin faced away from them and took the elements for themselves. It's no small thing what Luther and others set in motion. He called into question, they called into question the concentration of power is unrighteous. And out of his and others' vision came a new way of being churched. In any religion, you can tell what people believe not by what they say only, but by how they structure themselves, how they govern themselves. The saying is, your, your polity is your theology. And the reformers understood that Power consolidated was worth being suspicious of and God's will was best discerned in community. And so you all elect elders to come together and discern the wisdom of the Spirit on behalf of the good of all. And the democracies we see in the West today 
owe a debt of gratitude to the Protestant Reformation. It's no coincidence that the first presbytery was in Philadelphia, which is where this government was born. Representative democracy is a legacy of the Reformation. And then there is that question of indulgences that many of us were taught about as small children, this notion that you could buy your way into heaven by giving money to the church, which was not only a way to expand the wealth of the church, but it was also another form of taxation, a war tax often, to levy a tax to go launch a foreign military campaign in the name of Jesus Christ. Luther said no. Enough. And who among us could argue? Luther was clear. Where the church's treasure really lay. Thesis number, thesis number 62, it's on the cover of your bulletin, reminds us that the true ch- treasure of the church is the most holy gospel. A gospel that is freely given. You don't have to pay admission. In the many confessions that were born out of the Reformation, such as the Westminster Confession of Faith, for whom we are named, reminded us of that free gift of God's grace, that we enjoy the privileges and the pleasure and the joy and the charge of God, not because we've earned them, not because even we've chosen them, but because God has chosen The language that confessions use time and again is the spirit of adoption. Adoption, the holiest of relationships, and the parent chooses the child for relationship, for love, a love that is unshakable. Confession goes on to describe that love as something that can never be cast off. You'll hear that in our closing hymn penned by Luther himself. Friends, it was as if Luther in those early reformers heard those words of the Apostle Paul that you heard a moment ago from 1 Thessalonians, the oldest book in the New Testament, meaning historically the closest to the time of Jesus. When Paul is urging these budding communities to live a life worthy of God, It's as if those reformers took those words to heart and looked around at the church and said, the church is not living such a life. And it has to change. And sometimes things need to be broken in order to be reformed into something more whole. Think of what was risked in that reforming. Think of what was lost in the midst, the collateral damage. And then think ultimately of what was gained by the courage of those, some of whom lost their life in reforming the church of Jesus Christ. The motto of the reformed movement has long been Ecclesia Reformata Semper Reformanda. The church reformed The church always reforming. Actually, the verb tenses don't translate perfectly. It's more like the church reformed, the church always about to be reformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the call of the church has always been to look back and remember what we've forgotten that was essential and reclaim it. To adapt to our context and learn to release what no longer serves the gospel so we could move forward in a way that is relevant to the world, incarnational, you could say. All that reforming mattered. Some might say we are in need of a new reforming now. I would say we're in the middle of it. Things did change and things are changing. And wouldn't you know the Catholic Church changed out of the Reformation as well. And thanks be to God, today we have a restored relationship with them, a kinship, a friendship. We shouldn't see the shortcomings of the individuals who set this movement in motion or the failings of the institutions that were born up in the wake of this change. And there are many. 
But we shouldn't see those things as taking away from the good news of this story. Quite the contrary, that may be the good news of the story. The true story may be better than the fairy tale we were taught. Because it says to us, and this may be a summation of the gospel, look at what amazing things God can do through broken vessels. Look at what God can do even through the brokenness in our midst and in our cells. The holy word of God can be unleashed for all people to understand in their own language through broken vessels. Through broken vessels, it can be understood once and for all that God's grace is freely given, not earned, not purchased through broken vessels. Through broken vessels, churches imperfect but striving towards God's perfection can love people through the most difficult times in their lives, all through broken vessels. Through broken vessels and broken leaders, the church can stand up to evil and oppression, drawing not on brute force but on soul force to make a peaceful change for the better for all creation, all through broken vessels. So on this All Saints Day, let us remember not simply those who were perfect. The Reformation doesn't teach us much about perfection. The Reformation teaches us what's possible through imperfection. So let us remember those not who were perfect in their lives, but who in one moment or another, in some measure or another, showed us something of God's goodness. Let us remember those not who were free from stumbling, maybe stumbling quite a lot, but those who strived the best they could to model what it looked like to live an upright life. Let us on this All Saints Day remember those who paid attention to us cleanly in a way that made us feel valuable. Let us remember on this All Saints Day those who gave us the most priceless gift of all, our values. Let us remember on this Reformation Day, this All Saints Day, all those who tried to show us something of love. And all those we've loved and lost, even those who weren't able to receive our love, let us remember them. Today's not a day for superheroes. Because the figures that God chooses to shape this world are not made of plastic. They're made of flesh and blood, like all of us. And all of us have the capacity, despite the lies you've been told about your self-worth, despite what you've internalized about your failings and your guilt, all of us have the possibility to be conduits of that love, to be conduits of blessing that can break forth through all imperfections. Let us remember that God works best in flesh and blood. As we come forward to receive communion, which is now open, to receive the flesh and the blood of Christ, let us remember how God works. Amen.
You may be seated. I encourage you to take a look at all the announcements of what is upcoming. I want to highlight just what is happening after worship today. There are actually two opportunities after worship. Um, The first, uh, Jeff and our high school students for several weeks now have been going through a discernment class, discerning God's call in your life. They have a special guest speaker with them right now. And after worship, that guest speaker is going to offer a forum for parents, parents of middle and high schoolers or parents of younger children as well, or parents of older children, um, all about how you might help your child discern God's call in their life. That will be in Fireside Room. And then in here in the sanctuary, um, starting next year in early spring, uh, we are going to be kicking off our capital campaign. Uh, So Rob and some of our capital campaign team members are going to be here in the sanctuary to share the vision of what that campaign is going to be and to answer any of your questions. Uh, So guest speaker with Jeff and Fireside, capital campaign information session in here, both after worship. But take a look at your bulletin to see all that is happening here in the life of the church. And now we come here to the table. We remember that all are invited. All are welcome to share in this meal together. The ushers will direct you to come forward by the center aisle, take a piece of bread from the plate, dip it lightly in the cup, and that way partake of both of the elements together. In the very center will be a plate of gluten-free bread, if that is important for you. You can then return to your seats by the side aisle. Rob and I will be up here at the front for a time of additional prayer, if that is important for you. And in addition, this is All Saints Sunday. So as part of our prayer before communion, Rob and I will be reading aloud the names of those in our Westminster family who have died this past year. And then as part of the prayer, we're going to offer for all of you to lift up the names of the saints in your lives that you would like to remember. Traditionally, All Saints Day, we remember those who have died in the past year but I think there's no time limit on the saints of your lives. So during that time in our prayer, you're welcome to lift up the names of those who are meaningful for you. We'll do it all together. It'll be a cacophony of names of saints for God to hear as part of our prayer. So Jesus reminds us to come to the table in peace. I invite you as you are comfortable to stand and pass the peace of Christ to one another. You may be seated. Friends, it was the conviction of those who set this movement in motion that this table belonged to all people, that it not be held by any congregation, indeed any church, that it was the Lord's table. And insofar as you seek Christ, you are welcome at this table. So come. Will you join with me? God be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to God. Let us pray. Creating God, we give thanks that you brought this world and all of humanity into being, breathing life into us. You show yourself in each face we encounter, each and all created in your image. 
You taught us how to serve you and how to honor each other. To bring us into relationship with you, you sent us prophets and teachers. We offer thanks that when we ignored your embrace, you persisted in reaching out to us. We thank you most for the life and ministry of Jesus. The death and resurrection of Christ taught us that nothing, not even death, can separate us from you. Today, O oh God, we remember all those saints who have gone before us, especially those from our Westminster family who have died in the last year. David Dressbop. Marion Easton. Phil Economan. Roddy Connect. Dylan Krings. Mary Luring. Charles Masson. Marcel Ross. Now hear us, O oh God, as we share aloud the saints of our lives who have died and who we remember with love. We thank you, loving God, for the saints of our lives, for the ways they have loved us and nurtured us in our faith. And hear us now as we join with all the angels and saints of heaven to lift our voices in praise. Friends, on the night of his arrest, Jesus took bread, and after giving thanks, he blessed it and broke it. He gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, which is sealed in my blood. It is poured out for the forgiveness of sins for you and for many. Do this as often as you drink of it, he said, remembering me. Come, for all things are now ready. love.
of hope. joy. Stay. 
Let us pray. Thank you, holy God, for meeting us here in this simple meal. Strengthen us in your service that our daily living may show our praise. Increase our faith, help us to love, encourage us to act. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I invite you now to stand as you are comfortable for our closing hymn, 463. now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and Mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and every day. Amen.